Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means, and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I'm Gage Jordan, assistant pastor of Youth and Families at First Presbyterian Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Gage, glad to be back for our series on seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. We have That is a big, uh, a lofty thing to bite off. I hope we haven't bitten off more than we can chew, but we have... Uh, so far, been chewing our way through the Old Testament, and we are, have made it all the way to Second Kings. But before we jump into that, I just want to uh, um, thank everybody for listening. Our our uh, stats are continuing to grow up. We we are encouraged that we are sitting at about fifty four thousand downloads for our podcast. Uh, not exactly Joe Rogan stats, but. Um, uh, not bad for for uh, uh, two Presbyterian pastors uh, in Hot Springs and Dyersburg. Much of that uh, much of that growth we owe to our friends at the Society of Reformed Podcasts, which is a, uh, a podcast network that we are a part of. Uh, and we would love it if you would check out the Society of Reformed Podcasts. They have a mega feed that you can subscribe to. And so when you subscribe to that mega feed, you get all of their podcasts or you can go individually. But uh, go to Reformed Podcasts, that's podcasts plural, reformedpodcasts.com and check out uh, many of the great ones that they have there. The Small Town Theologian, uh, Reformed Brotherhood, uh, Distilling Theology, the Five Points Church Planting Podcast, and the Bobcast, a number of others. Check them out uh, and uh, see some of their great content as well. But enough of that uh, uh, opening uh, announcement. Uh, Gage, any new news for you? Yeah, actually, uh, a couple of exciting things to share. Uh, one on the, the not-so-serious, so exciting front. Um, I'm back on Facebook. Woo-hoo! Good or bad, I, I don't know, but... Uh, Created an account through the uh, my church email, so we'll see how long Zuckerberg and the powers that be let me um, stay on Facebook. So if you want to connect uh, with me, send me a friend request, uh, send a message about anything uh, you have questions on with the podcast. We'd love to love to hear from you. Um, the other thing that's kind of exciting, you know, Scott, every episode we give our introductions, right? And I say assistant pastor of youth and families. Well. Um, Soon and very soon, uh, our senior pastor, uh, Bill Evans, is actually going to be retiring at the end of September. And so uh, in October, you'll start to hear me say uh, senior pastor of First Presbyterian Dyersburg. So we've got a, got information sent off to the Presbytery. Presbytery is going to vote in May. So we're, we're definitely excited about that transition. And I've actually got, we'll have to have him on the podcast when he gets here this summer. I've got a replacement coming, a candidate that's going to be our director uh, of, of families and, and, and worship. That's super exciting. Well, I, I look forward to hearing your new title, uh, and our listeners do as well. So uh, uh, congratulations to you and to the church uh, and to and a Bill on his retirement. Well, uh, um, 
we are at Second Kings now. We have made our way all the way uh, through the Pentateuch. Uh, we got first and we we got first and second Samuel. We did First Kings uh, as our previous episode. And so, uh, Gage, tell us how we can see Christ pictured in type and shadow in the book of Second Kings. Absolutely, absolutely. So as we dig in, if you remember um, last time we were together when we we dealt with with First Kings, we really said it kind of divides into three acts, right? It's the the end of David's life, it's the inauguration and reign of Solomon, and it's the start of Elijah's ministry. Uh, so as we pick it up in Second Kings, uh, you know, originally this was actually one book in the in the Hebrew order uh, of the Old Testament. So this is one narrative. It picks it up. In Second Kings, with the the end of Elijah's ministry, uh, he um, in chapter one uh, denounces uh, Ahaziah, uh, and then in chapter two he's taken up into heaven. This u- unique uh, experience that really only happens to Enoch. To uh, and Moses dies on the mountains; he actually physically dies. That's recorded, but Enoch's taken up into heaven, um, and then. Uh, Elijah is also taken up into heaven. So this is a very rare occasion, but Elisha, his predecessor, sees him get taken up, uh, doesn't die, gets carried away in a a chariot of fire and taken up into heaven. So what's the significance of that? Well, we hinted at this last week, but just a kind of reminder to our listeners, if you you weren't, uh, you hadn't listened to First Kings episode yet, there's a lot of parallels with uh, Elijah uh, and what we see in the New Testament in the life uh, of Jesus, you know, the the um, Jews would have looked forward to Elijah showing up at Passover. This is actually still a thing. You know, we're we're in Passion Week today as we record this episode. It is Good Friday. Easter is coming up this Sunday, and today's uh, Passover. And so there are going to be Jews all over the, the world. They're going to be anticipating the arrival or the potential arrival of Elijah so much so that some of them will, will keep a chair for him at Passover. Um, but we, as we read last week, uh, Jesus had other thoughts uh, on, on this anticipation of Elijah and saw the connection of the fulfillment of one like Elijah in, in John the Baptist. And, and we see that revealed in the, the passage of the transfiguration. One great resource on this that, that I would, uh, recommend or commend to our readers, our readers, our listeners rather, um, is um, Legan Duncan's message at T4G. I believe it's either 2016 or 2018. I have to go back and look. Uh, he did a a great sermon where he he connects um, Elijah's um, despair that he records when Ahab and Jezebel are on it on his tail and he's on this mountain and he's, and he's looking for the Lord. And then all these things happen, right? This great storm, this tornado and this wind. And, and it was a still small voice. And then there's this conversation back and forth about, I'm the, I'm the only one that's left. And Jesus or the God is telling uh, Elijah, um, no, I have a remnant that you don't know about. And we see that actually quoted in Romans 11 and, and, and Paul's use there. Uh, but Legan Duncan actually makes that connection from that passage in First Kings all the way uh, to the Transfiguration. It's a great sermon, um, and it would actually be a great supplement to our study here. But we see 
uh, here, the, the, even even then, the beginnings of the ministry uh, of Elisha, the end of Elijah, the parallel path connection between Elijah and John the Baptist coming, uh, and the start of, of Elisha. And what you actually see with Elisha um, that I think is, is unique here is how many miracles he does, and really how there's a lot of parallels between the, the miraculous workings, the signs and wonders in Elisha's ministry with Jesus, right? We see uh, that as, as Jesus comes on the scene, um, as Reformed people, uh, we hold to uh, a position on, on the gifts that, that Jesus's ministry and the apostles' giftings, um, those weren't normative. That was an extraordinary time of redemption, redemptive history. Um, but you see here that the, the signs and wonders validate the, the office, right? They give authenticity uh, to the truth uh, of, of what the, the prophet is going to say. So you see that with Elijah, that he's able to care for the, for the widow, right? And multiply her oil. He's able to uh, heal Naaman. He's able to do, do all these things. You see the same thing with Jesus executing the office of prophet that he comes, you think about the gospel of Mark, the way things start out. He is doing all these signs. He's healing. He's giving sight to the blind. He um, is um, setting captives free. He's um, casting out demons, all of these things. Um, but you see multiple times, even in the gospel of Mark, where, where Jesus will do that up to a point, and then he'll leave and move on to the next city. Why? Because the reason he came was to preach the gospel. The signs are giving validity to the message or to the revelation, right? You see the same thing in the ministry of Elisha. So you see the, those hints in, in the life of Jesus. Going into give you an example here, we mentioned uh, the widow's oil in chapter four. Chapter five deals with Naaman, Naaman, this, this great captain who uh, of an army who gets leprosy. And you see Naaman goes and he humbles himself and, and goes to Elisha and asks for Elisha to make, make him well. And, and Elisha does. And this is significant for a lot of reasons. One, we really don't have anything outside of maybe during the pandemic when we knew somebody was actually te had tested positive for COVID, you know, I, I jokingly, when my wife got sick, would yell in the house, unclean, unclean, when she was walking in the living room. But like, we, we don't have anything really in that sort of level of category, I don't think, in our context today, that the leper, to be around them, to touch anything they touched, to um, even have touched them, was to make yourself now an outsider. It was to make yourself unclean. And but you see Elijah, or Elisha rather, um, going and identifying with Naaman, touching, interacting, conversing, uh, almost in in a way taking on and identifying his uncleanness to order to make Naaman well. And that's the gospel in a nutshell. Because we see this in like. Uh, Mark chapter one, Mark chapter two, when when Jesus heals the leper, we see the same thing. Jesus is identifying with him and he's almost uh, switching places with the leper that he now is an outcast. He is now set apart. He is now made unclean so that the leper can be clean. We see the same thing with Naaman, e even in, and you were not, we're talking about this offline, Scott, even in the way that uh, there's washings, right? right. Um, you want to talk about that just, just a little bit? Yeah, so so um, uh, Elisha sends sends Naaman to uh, to um, be washed in the river, 
Um, and Elisha sent a messenger saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and, and uh, Fapar, uh, Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came to him. This is Naaman's servants came to him and said, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. What what does that take as as people who have read the New Testament, uh, what does that point us to? Points to baptism, right? Amen. Uh, and, and, you know, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to get the emails because we're going to spend the uh, next weekend with, with our Lutheran uh, brothers and sisters in, in Northwest Arkansas with, with 1517, you know, where, where they would, they would go a little farther than we were in the sign of baptism. We still would say the same things in that, when we are giving the sign of baptism, even to either to an infant or to an adult uh, who's professed faith, we're saying that your your sins are being washed away with, with, with the water, that you're being made clean because of what Jesus has done. Uh, and, and so you see that that parallel there and you almost see uh, Naaman in his complaint. Right. Uh, could he not come out and do this extraordinary thing? Right. Naaman probably had heard at this point about Elijah calling fire down from heaven and fighting the, the prophets of Baal and doing all these extraordinary things. And, and, and so he's expecting the show with, with Elisha, right? He's like, oh, why, why didn't you come out? Why didn't you call upon the name of the Lord? Why didn't you do the extraordinary thing? And the servant's like, Hey, is the water not enough? Right. And I think we do the same thing with the ordinary means of grace, right? We, I just got done, uh, what, uh, watching uh, the Hillsong documentary, we've all all watched it, and I think the takeaway is the tendency. Uh, I mean, outside of the uh, obviously the problems and the, the the sadness of the abuse, but but that in that first episode, the takeaway of needing the show, of needing the the lights and the and the and the the smoke and the the, the feeling, right? What uh, the girl actually in the documentary says you're crying is it because the spirit has actually moved or is it the cord change right like like in, in that moment we do the same thing we always want more we always want this extraordinary thing and here he's being cleaned simply by the water uh, and i think we see some parallels there to to what jesus has has come and done the signs were never meant to be the point right the signs were always meant to be the appetizer that leads to, to the meal that is the gospel yeah, that's exactly right. A sign is a, a Michael Horton is so helpful on this. A sign is a small visible thing that points to or testifies to the reality of a larger invisible thing. A sign that says icy bridge is not an icy bridge. It's pointing to or testifying to the fact that there's an icy bridge. And and Jesus' miracles are repeatedly called signs. That he did many signs and wonders, the, the, the Bible tells us. He's doing small visible things that testify to something else. They are communicating something else to us. And that he is just as, just as he can heal legs, 
he can he can heal our uh, he can heal our broken relationship with God the Father because of our sin. As he says, as he says, and we we talked about this before. As he says, uh, when the paralytic is lowered through the roof and and he forgives his sins rather than healing his legs, and he says, but why do you why do you question in your hearts um, uh, that I say your sins are forgiven? Which is easier to do? To say your sins are forgiven? To say rise, take up your mat, and walk? And then he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. I say rise, take up your mat, and walk. Right. In other words. I don't want anybody to leave here wondering if this guy's sins are forgiven. So I'm going to do a visible thing to testify to the reality of this invisible thing. Yeah, because the harder thing is to die on the cross for our sins. Right. That's, that's that's the harder thing for yeah. God in the universe, right? And so I think about even um, when Jesus reprimands certain cities, right? Um, he He tells them, if the signs that you have seen would have been done in Tyre or Sidon, uh, or it'll be better for on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than you because of the signs you've seen, which, which leads you to logical conclusion that the signs aren't a guarantee that faith is going to happen, right? The extraordinary experience is, doesn't guarantee that the spirit is going to move. And so we, we, we see glimpses of that reality in, in second Kings and its connections to the message of Jesus. And then we, we get into uh, chapter nine, chapter 10, chapter 11. Uh, really um, the thing I want us to understand here with the, the kingship of Jehu, um, the destruct, the, um, killing of, of Jezebel and then the, the killing of Ahab's descendants, Joash and the repairing of the temple, you're going to start to feel through the rest of Kings and what we talked about in first Kings, this tension of maybe this King's going to be better. Maybe this King's actually going to be okay. Maybe this, this King is actually going to be the one that's going to rescue us from this brokenness because you've got Ahab and Jezebel reigning and then their destruction. Then you got Jehu and you've got these little sentences, right? That I think are important uh, with um, Jehu and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And uh, then you got the the king after Joash, that he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That, that's that same language we saw all the way back in Judges. Um, and uh, that points to this reality of these guys aren't quite the Messiah, the Messianic king you're hoping for. These aren't quite, this isn't quite the descendant of David that you've been looking for. Remember, we went wrestled with this concept all the way back in Genesis with the descendant of Eve that we kept looking for it. Is it Seth? Is it Cain? Is it uh, Noah? No, no, no. Uh, same, same tension here with these kings. Is this going to be the descendant of David that's actually going to do right? Is this going to be the descendant of David that's actually going to rescue us? Uh, and we see a little, little hints of this, right? You see Jehu executing Jezebel, which it's a, if you like, you know, action packed, you know, um, revenge. You know, that's the kind of thing you like to watch on Netflix. This, this is your moment. Is Jay, Jay who throw, throws her out the window. She gets trampled by horses and ate by dogs. Like it, it's a, a fantastic, uh, crazy, one of those crazy stories in the Old Testament. But then you also see Jehu executing Ahab's descendants. What is he doing there? Well, you see types and shadows, even this moment of the king defeating the people's enemies, right? The, the king taking care of 
the the enemies and the evil um, that had um, basically oppressed the people of God. That was what, in at some sense, the people were looking for with Jesus. They thought he was going to be this political power that was going to rescue them from the evil Romans. But obviously, Jesus had something much, much better for us. But you see even those hints of, the, of, the, of that with Jehu and the destruction of, of Jezebel and Ahab. You also see it with Joash and the repairing of the damage that had been done to the, to the temple. Uh, but then, um, as, as, every, as we're prone to do, um, the people of God... Um, are, are wandering back into idolatry. So we get into chapter 17, and you see the fall of Israel, right? That you remember going back to 1 Kings, um, Solomon, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and Solomon can't, can't seem to keep it in his pants either. And so <laughs> it, 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 leads, it leads to uh, the division of the kingdom. Right. It leads eventually to so many concubines, so many wives, so, so many um, compromises on during the reign of Solomon for as wise as he was. That's why he's so sad and like get off my lawn in Ecclesiastes, because he really realizes all the stupid decisions he's made in his life. Uh, and it leads to the division of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel and Judah. And so we see the effects of this with the fall now of Israel um, uh, as one half of the kingdom because of their idolatry. They're, they're taken into captivity by Assyria, um, just like with Judah being taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Uh, and all that starts to kind of give you the historical context for when we're going to get into the prophets. So when we're going to get into Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel, you're going to understand kind of what's happening uh, during these times, based off of what we're seeing now uh, in First Kings, and so you see the fall of Israel. Um, but then you also, I think it's kind of funny. Right after that happens, you got Hezekiah, and, and Hezekiah is one of the few kings that actually has his stuff together. He removes the high places, so uh, that that's biblical language for he's removing the idols, houses right. from right. from all the all the places, um, and he's trying to bring the people back to Yahweh, uh, which is what the king was supposed to do. The king was always supposed to be the spiritual leader of the nation. And these guys never seem to be able to get it together. But I, but I want to point out just a, an interesting se uh, sentence um, as we're dealing with Hezekiah and other places. Uh, Isaiah chapter 19, Isaiah reassures Hezekiah um, that things are going to be okay. And he says this sentence in, in verse 30, uh, 32 to 34. Therefore, this says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria. He should not come into this city or shoot an, an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast upon it a siege mount against it. By the way of the Lord, he came by the same, the same shall he return uh, and shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. Then verse 34 is what I want you to pay attention to. For I will defend this city and save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. So despite their, their sin, despite their idolatry, despite their, their inability, whether it's kings or whether it's people to, to get it together and keep it together, we see um, in this moment the, the promise that, hey, I haven't forgotten what I told David I was going to do. And I'm going to do this. God's saying, I'm going to do this 
for my own sake. And I think that's huge because if it's for the sake of our obedience, we're in trouble. Bad, big if trouble. It's, if it's for the sake of us trying to keep it together, it's never going to happen. Um, and I, I think about this note at the, the beginning of Second uh, Kings and the in the Reformation study Bible. It says, like First Kings, Second uh, Kings continues to record the troubling circumstances of God's people, creating in them a longing for a future messianic king. Jehoiachin's final exaltation above uh, all the other exiled kings in Babylon offers a glimmer of hope the end of second Kings um, that God has not abandoned his commitment to establish David's dynasty forever. Eventually this will find its fulfillment in Jesus. So you see that, that glimmer there. And he talks about Jehoiachin at the end, but right before we get to that, um, one thing I do want to point out before we get to Jehoiachin uh, is um, chapter 23, chapter 23, you see um, with the King, with King Josiah, right? The youngest king uh, that uh, the nation has. What does he do? He restores the Passover. Now, why would he do that, Scott? It goes back to our same question with baptism. What is the significance of making sure that Passover gets restored? Well, what is Passover about? Passover is about um, God's people remembering God's rescue of his people through uh, the, the 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 slaying of a, 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 of a lamb, and remembering God's faithfulness that because this lamb died, the people were freed, the people were forgiven, the people were were were, uh, were saved uh, through what God did on the night of Passover, and yeah, that's the significance. Yeah, absolutely. So you see. You think about what our buddy Chad Bird says, right? That the the narrative of Exodus is always at the forefront uh, of the Old Testament, right? That, that it's it's weaving its way to the the redemptive history of God's people, and the the reality there is just like with Passover on the night that Jesus was betrayed, which we just had Monday Thursday yesterday. If you're you followed that pattern. Uh, we got Good Friday. We're going to have a service tonight, and I'm, I'm, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to say that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup, and he said, this is the cup of the, the new covenant in my blood. Drink it. And he took the bread, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you, right? And so even in this moment, you see the kings restoring Passover you see hints of the Lord promising after he just said in 19, I'm not going to forget David 23. We see the restoration of Passover. This is how he's not going to forget the promises of David through the broken body and the shed blood of the, of the lamb. And so we come to the end of second Kings and we come to this, this interesting story of Jehoiachin. Now Jehoiachin is one of those, Kings that was with Israel and Babylon had taken them captive. And so Babylon finally starts to release uh, some of their, their prisoners and they're starting to kind of put some things back together. And there's this unique story, uh, chapter 25, starting at verse 27. And in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month on the 27th day of the month, evil, uh, Merodachah, king of Babylon. Um, I feel like I would change my name if it was evil Merodachah. <laughs> but uh, in the year that he began 
to reign, graciously freed Jehojin, king of Judah, from prison. And he spoke kindly to him, and he gave him a seat above the seats of the king, kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehojin put off his prisoner gar- prison garments, and every day of his life, he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given to him by the king according to his daily needs as long as he lived. That's the gospel, right? Amen. That, Amen. That there's that there's no reason in the world that we should have been set free. We Amen. should have got we we deserved exactly to 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 get exactly what we deserved, and that was hell, right? And that was death. Uh, but instead, we're freed. Our prison garments are dropped, and we are sat at the king's table. And, and Scott, you you say this often when when you uh, fence the table at Hope Church. You, you tell tell a story about what what it's like uh, to to go to to dinner, right? And what what you should do do at dinner. You want to. Want to share sure. Kind of You're talking about when you invite somebody there. over to your house for dinner. Yes. Yeah. Yes. When, when uh, it, here, especially here in the South, when you invite uh, somebody over to your house for dinner, there's sort of a polite litur- liturgy that you go through. You call them up, say, "Hey, my wife and I would love to have you over for dinner on Saturday night." And uh, if you're a polite person here in the South, you will always say, "That sounds great. What can I bring?" And you might say, oh, we're having lasagna. Why don't you bring a nice bottle of red wine? Or we're having a, a cookout in the backyard. Why don't you bring a peach cobbler or some sort of dessert? But if you invite somebody to your table who is weary, if you invite somebody to your table who has had a bad week and is weary and beaten down by the world and you want to minister to them, if you invite somebody like that to your table, when they say, what can I bring? If you're a good friend, you're going to say, I don't want you to bring anything. Just bring your emptiness. Just bring your hunger. Just bring your appetite and let us feed you. And what I will say frequently at our church is, brothers and sisters, the Lord's table is not a potluck. It's not a good meal made better by something that we bring. Uh, if it's anything, it's a reverse potluck. In a potluck, you bring that which you are most proud of and lay it on the table and everybody sings your praises. And they say, who made the green bean casserole? But the, the Lord's Supper is a reverse potluck. We bring that which we are not proud of. We bring that which we're ashamed of. And we lay that at the altar. And we receive, um, we receive the righteousness that we're promised we'll receive when Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. That's it. That's Second Kings in a nutshell, right? The snapshot Amen. of hope of Jehoiachin, prisoner set free and made to sit at the king's table. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, we hope this has been helpful. Gage, thank you for uh, laboring over the text and uh, carrying us through that. Uh, Gage and I are going to be next week at the 1517 conference. I don't know um, if if you are, it is going to be in Bentonville, Arkansas. I don't know if they still have seats available. They, if they do, not very many. Um, But if, if there are, you can go to 1517.org and check that out. However, if um, if not, all of the media from that from our from that conference is going to be uh, online. 
and we'll be we'll we'll push some of that out to you um but you can go to 1517.org the conference is going to be april 22nd and 23rd and gage and i will both be there i'll be speaking at it and um we will be hanging out with our friends chad bird and uh uh, eric Sorensen, daniel price a number of the uh the great uh folks there 1517 would love for you to join us there uh to come and shake our hand and say hello uh but um gage how can people get a hold of us Absolutely. So you can always uh, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Um, or you can visit our website at assuranceofpardon.com and email us at contact at assuranceofpardon.com. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. And until next time, this is Assurance of Pardon. God bless. Mm-hmm.